Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast. With Tony Maradero. 55 seconds left in the penalty, a minute and 27 seconds left in regulation time. Boston 4, Montreal 3. Lafleur coming out rather gingerly on the right side. He gives it into LeMaire, back to Lafleur. The sickest Montreal Canadiens podcast. You're in the fall! Sports entertainment like no other. Rejoint, on lui fait perdre la rondelle, une passe devant. Et c'est la bonne chose, ce sera la victoire des Canadiens. pour les Canadiens, le 23e de l'histoire. You found the dogs! John, you found the dogs! He found the dogs! And all together, they worked a young team to the top. And now, a 24th Stanley Cup banner will hang from the rafters of the famous forum in Montreal. The Canadians win the Stanley Cup. Brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La TV. Embrace your true nature. And Playground, your premier gaming destination. It's going to be sick. Marinero, the sick podcast on this Monday, September 18. How is everyone doing tonight? Welcome, welcome, welcome. The sick podcast brought to you by Energy Transportation Group, a leading full service logistics provider serving all of North America, driven to be different. Also brought to you in part by these guys. La Bitta TV brewed in Quebec, a winner of a dozen international awards. La Bitta TV offers quality microbrewery beers made with premium ingredients for everyone's taste. La Bitta TV, embrace your true nature and brought to you in part by Playground. Over 600 machines, poker tournaments and playground casino games, daily promotions, unmatched customer service. Why go anywhere else located just over the Mercier Bridge? Only minutes from downtown Montreal. It is Playground. Before we get to tonight's guest, I want to thank uh, everyone for uh, watching the sick podcast over the last three weeks or so. Um most of the episodes I taped before I left for Portugal. Uh, once again, for those who missed it, I had left on August 26th. And so uh, I was there for three weeks and I got back yesterday and um, I taped about 15 podcasts in about four days, I believe. And uh, they were all topical and we were able to air them, which was good. And uh, Matthew O'Han, I think did uh, two or four extra shows, I believe and uh anyway we were able to pull it off so i'm back and uh, i'm happy to be back so thanks everyone for watching i know you're following right now on youtube tell your friends about it. if you haven't subscribed already you can subscribe of course it is absolutely free and uh, some of you are following on twitter and some of you are following on facebook and if we have a chance uh we're going to uh read some of your uh, uh some of your uh messages that we have right now on uh, on youtube alan roswell says tony please talk about the babcock affair i will uh this is once again this is uh, kind of like a streaming service and so it's a hab specific podcast which doesn't mean that we're going to talk habs all the time i mean but we're going to talk habs most of the time so what we're going to do is we're going to start it with habs and then at one point at one point we will go uh, to the whole Babcock saga, for sure, 100%. And without further ado, he was a regular collaborator last season on Monday nights from Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca. Eric Engels, what's going on? 
Welcome back, Tony. Thank you very much. It's good to be back, my man. It's good to be back. What did I miss? It's good to be with you. Uh, not Thank much. You. you know, we as we get to this portion, everybody comes out to me. They come up to you. Are you excited for the season? Are you getting excited for the season? I'm typically the kind of guy like, like if you're getting ready for a vacation, you get you get excited. You know, once you hit the plane, right? Like, yeah. Uh, you know, we've got three weeks of training camp ahead, and then, yeah. then the real fun begins. But you know what? I'm ready. I'm ready to get back to it, and it starts this week, and I'm excited about it. Well, before we get to the uh, the pro camp, of course, let's talk about the rookie camp that was that was played in Buffalo over the last uh, three days. And uh, today, the Montreal Canadiens rookies played their last game, three games in three nights. Earlier this afternoon, they played versus the Ottawa Senators in what was a 2-1 win for the Montreal Canadiens rookies on, um, on goals by Riley Kidney and Yan Mishak. We'll get to that, uh, but, you know, some of the usual suspects now. I, I think a lot of attention, of course, was on Logan Mayu and David Reinbacker for, for obvious reasons. Where do you want to start? Oh, I'm good with, with, with either one of those names or anybody else you want to discuss, you know, to okay. be honest. After okay, that, I'll start. Reinbacker. You ready? Well, I want to put – the first thing is a key disclaimer, which is I wasn't in Buffalo for the rookie tournament. There was a few reporters that were there. Yeah. And it's an important disclaimer because – for whatever you think you notice and understand when you watch something happen live on YouTube, streaming, whatever it is, there's a big difference between that and being there and seeing what happens away from the puck and seeing what players' habits are um, on and off the ice and seeing them together, which I'll get a better glimpse of as a lot of them and, and the key names that most people are interested in move on to Canadians camp. So it's, that's one disclaimer I want to get out of the way, but my first impressions on David Reinbacker as he comes as advertised. You know, here's a kid with uh, what I think is going to be an elite skating stride and is already a really good one. Um, he closes well, uh, transition up and down the ice is a strength of his game. He's able to close down both blue lines. Um, there was a lot to like, you know, without suggesting that he was outstanding and took over and was dominant and one of the best players on the ice. This was one of his first experiences on North American ice. And I think it was a great experience for him to get. And I think the more of it he gets before he goes back to Europe, which is where I expect he will be with almost a hundred percent certainty this season, you know, like this is, this is just a good thing for him. And I, I think he's handling it well. And I think he showed a lot of the things that justify why the Canadians thought of him so highly when they drafted him fifth overall. All right. So same disclaimer for me, obviously, and I wasn't in Buffalo, but going by what I saw, I'm going to say this. I saw a player that had a really hard time adapting to the North American ice. And this is the twist I'm going to give you here. And which, by the way, you know, would be, you know, that's what you would think anyway, right? Because your first experience on North American ice. But here's the thing, though. How is he going to get better on North American ice if he's going back to European ice this season? It's it's a totally valid question that you would ask of any player in his situation. And obviously, a similar evaluation was made with Uri Slavkovsky last year, and we all know where he ended up. You know, when it comes to Rhinebacker, though, he's playing for a team in Cloton and the Swiss League, which is an elite level of competition where he will be afforded the opportunity to be in a primary seat in every situation, play big minutes against professional hockey players. And I, I think 
that's still a good thing for his development. We're not talking about a player who absolutely needs to be on the Canadians' blue line by next season or it's a failure. Like, bring him up the right way, the way a lot of teams handle their development, and I think you'll reap the benefits. He's getting a taste of that North American experience. You don't expect him to be spectacular immediately. I don't necessarily agree with your assessment, but it's your assessment from afar, just like it's my assessment from afar, and we'll see more as we go along here in terms of, I think and this will bring us right, in, right into Logan Mayo. It's very easy to go on these first impressions and make these proclamations. But what's more relevant to me is how a player adapts and how quickly they adapt and how quickly they're able to incorporate what they learn in a very short kind of time frame and exhibit something that shows that they've made that adaptation and changed. And that, that, that's why I bring up Mayu. Because after the first game, the reaction to the way he played, which wasn't well, uh, was completely hyperbolic. Like mm -hmm. the Canadians fan base, half of them wanting to confirm their own opinions that he's loose with the puck and makes poor decisions and this and that, were right there to say, I told you, I told you, you know, he stop saying he's so good and this. And the other half were saying, well, I thought he was supposed to be really good and this is what we got. But the more important part of the evaluation to me is what did he do in the second game where he was much more structured, much more, um, what's the word I'm like, restrained and moved the puck a lot quicker and a lot of more efficiently and ended up showing extremely well. And I watched today, just as I'm sure you did, he was the best player on the ice. I don't even think it was even question, in question for either team and you know, the young goal scorer in Ottawa, Pfizer, who was pretty impressive, but yeah. I don't think there was a better player than Logan Mayo on the ice today, other than uh, Ottawa's goaltender. Mayu was everywhere. He was throwing his body around. He was jumping in the offensive zone. He was taking chances in the offensive zone. He was getting his shot away. He had a goal post on one or a crossbar. Uh, he's got really, really good hands in close for a big man. But, you know, this is the Canadians' fan base. They either get too high or too low on their prospects right off the bat. Mayu is exactly who I thought he was. And I'm not saying this to tap myself on the back. He has, he has all the tools, but he has a lot of room to grow. He's got a lot of work to do defensively. And so, you know, anyone who thought that he was going to be on this team... Because, by the way, I saw a few things on the internet of people in our business who put him on the team right away this season. No chance. No chance. Well, I'm going to say that there's absolutely a chance. And I'm going to say that I would bet any amount of money he'll play NHL games this year. Will he start the year with the Canadians? I think it's highly doubtful. There'd have to be a number of injuries that occur and some really poor performances in training camp for him to get there. Uh, the biggest thing going against them is his experience. And, you know, we talk about a player who needs to refine his decision-making and his defensive play and all that. Yeah, he's a 20-year-old defenseman. Well, what do you think? Like, of course, that's always the case with those types of players. Um, but the idea that he's so far away from the NHL that there's zero chance that he can upset the apple cart, I wouldn't go as far to say that because I could tell you right now that no matter what my colleagues or some other people say that they think that he's a lock or that he'll be there right away, I could tell you that the Canadians development staff considers him to potentially be the strongest prospect that they have in the system. So 
Truth is probably somewhere in between. It's I probably that. somewhere in between. But yeah. the bottom bottom line is like he's no different than pretty much anybody of his profile who has come before him. Young defensemen need time, and he missed a lot of it over the last couple of years. And that's what I was getting at. He missed an entire year of development hockey. And you you just this league is too good to skip steps. And you know what? If he was, let's just say, eighty percent ready, and they thought he would be good enough, and they were going to be a you know a lock for a playoff team, and they were going to be a team that was going to go for it, you could understand why you'd want to rush a guy into the lineup. But being in the situation that they're in, where they all said at the golf tournament, you know, the goal is just to get better bit by bit every day, collectively, as a group, as a team, and individually, why rush the guy? You don't have to. You don't have to, and the chances are they're not going to. But there's another element here at play, which is that you bring your players to camp, whether they're Yan Mishak or Logan Mayu or a guy who's lower down the pecking order that we're not even talking about, or maybe even a Xavier Simoneau. And you make sure that they feel that they absolutely have a chance that if their play merits that they become NHL hockey players, that that is where they will be. You have to make them feel as though they have that opportunity. Whether or not they can seize it and whether or not the percentages are good um, are kind of irrelevant. It's all about instilling that belief in your players and making them feel like they're not doing something for no reason. And when it comes to Mayu, you know, we can talk about all the things that are going against them, and there's enough of them to absolutely confirm what you're saying, that he's not going to make this team to start the season. But there's another side of it, and that it's you got to consider who he's competing with. And we're not talking about a right side of the Canadians' defense that is so elite and established that he couldn't possibly force the Canadians into making a tough decision. And that's really what his job is here coming to camp, is to get better every single day and force them into making a tough decision. And and the type of decision that would lead to whether or not he makes the team out of camp, which, again, is extremely unlikely, makes them think there will come a point at some point this season where we actually want to use this guy and see what he can do at this level. And I really like his chances of doing that based on what I saw last year in London. Mm -hmm based on what I've seen so far through development, including that incredibly poor first performance in the first game. It's the adjustment to me that really shows here's a kid who really wants it and he listens. And I'm sure he had people in his ear telling him, hey, we know you want to show that you've got it all. And it's a, he fell into the classic trap of trying to show too much and trying to do too much himself. And they told him, move the puck faster, make quicker yeah. decisions and restrain yourself a little bit and be smart up there. And he made yeah. the adjustment, and we'll see how he makes it and continues to make it as yeah. we go along because he's going to be a player. Stefan Robida is going to have, um, you know, a nice bandit on his hands here. Yeah. I'm not going to call it a challenge because it's not like the guy is so defensively deficient that it's going to be a huge challenge, but it, it's going to be it's going to be a work in progress. There's going to be work over here. We know what he can do offensively. We see the hands. We see the tools. We know the shot, but, you know, I think what's going to be cool here, and I, I'm not going to say easy, but at least you know what the plan is going to be. Like you just said, they're going to have to temper Mayu. They're going to have to make him play with a little bit more restraint, but at the same time, let him play free, uh, work on his decision-making, and you know, 
whenever it's going to come together, and at one point it will, when that happens, you're going to see a heck of a defenseman. I agree, but that's the balance you have to strike with every single one of your players. And all the things you're saying about Logan Mayu, maybe to a lesser extent because of how good the processor is on this player, there's going to be similar challenges for a player like Lane Hudson, you know, who is elite in, in many regards and many aspects of the game. And no matter how much you show both those players in terms of defending and making those types of decisions that you know won't prove to be all that costly, you are going to have to accept certain deficiencies that are in their game because no player is perfect. You know, you can love the way Jordan Harris plays defense and say to yourself, man, with his skating and his passing ability and his decision-making, it should be able to manufacture more offense. And maybe he won't to the level that will ever, ever satisfy everybody. So, you know, this is the challenge of developing. And this is, if handled properly, probably the biggest factor for any one of these players, no matter what their deficiencies or strengths are, yeah. is ensuring that their confidence not only remains intact, but is bolstered as you go along. And that's the real balance. Because you talk about having to restrain them, but also have them play free. I... I'm going to say that's not a 50-50 equal proposition because playing free will probably be a bit more important for him to become the player you want to see him become than restraining him. So you hope he learns along the way, as all these young players are going to have to do if they're going to make their mark in the NHL and hit their potential. I think he's got a ton of it. I think there's a lot of players on this team that have a ton of potential. And I think they're equipped with a development staff that is going to help yeah. them get there a lot better than a lot of the guys that were handling that stuff before. All right. So the Montreal Canadiens have people in development that have forgotten more about development than I'll ever know. But that doesn't mean I can't have an opinion. So here it goes. You have a good one. Give... You have a good so, one. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, it's only good when it actually pans out to be true. But here's an opinion that I have. Okay. Um, even though... It doesn't mean much, and even though there's no rush, or maybe it's not even opinion, maybe it's just it's a wish. If Logan Mayu and Ryan Backer, the plan would be, in a best-case scenario, that they can play on this team and be in the top four for the next 10 years, give or take. Why wouldn't you want them growing together? Like, the more I think of it, the more I want Ryan Backer in Laval and not in Switzerland. I think there is a best of kind of both worlds scenario here, right? There is a balance for the Canadians to strike between not wanting to interrupt too much of Ryan Backer's season in Cloton and giving him as much of a taste of North American hockey as possible before returning him to Cloton. The advantages of returning to Cloden are what we discussed before. He will be in a premium role in a professional league that is elite uh, and continuing to grow as a player. The advantages of what you're talking about are quite obvious as well. And that if you want to build a winner uh, and a team that can sustain a winning culture year over year, you're best incorporating as many of those guys as possible together and building them up in an environment where they are together and growing together. And I think, you know, the Canadians are lucky or, or at least not even lucky. It's by design. They have that going on with their NHL team. Their entire blue line is kind of made that way. Um, I think 
there's merit in them doing exactly what you're saying for as long as they possibly can, where both those players are in Laval until it comes a point where you have to send Ryan Backer back and let him play out his season at that level where he's got a chance to develop into a much better player, having gotten the experience that he got here. And, and like you said, I, I believe both those players have the potential to be exactly what you're saying, that they mm-hmm. will be top 10, uh, top, top four locks on this team for years and years to come. But I also agree with something you said that there's no rush for either. of them. No. There's just no rush for either of them. So go with the best, go with the best of both worlds. And you're probably serving that development plan pretty well. Every now and then you have a draft pick that was probably drafted in the fourth or fifth round. And you say to yourself, well, hold on a second. Where did this guy come from? The more I see William Trudeau, the more I'm in love with his game. And I almost feel bad because the cupboards are like, they just seem like they're so full, and it's a numbers game. And there are going to be defensemen right now that are in camp, that are on this team, that are just, they're going to end up being traded away because you just can't accommodate everyone. I don't know if this guy's ever going to get a shot with the Canadians, more so than over the next couple of years being called up every now and then. But this guy looks like he's got all the tools to be like an NHLer one day. And in the short term, like, this guy's good. William Trudeau is, he's got a lot of poise, man. And he's a really good example of what could be gleaned at the AHL level, right? Where he took on a lot of confidence last year in that first experience. And you know what? I would be as bold to predict that he will also play some NHL games this year. And if it comes to pass, I agree with that. Whether, agree it's, with that. whether it's him or someone else at a position of strength, this is how you build a winning hockey team by having an abundance of players so much so that you have to trade certain ones to acquire the types of players that will put you over the edge and help you win. You know, we talked about it earlier this season and of course it ends up being a clip that uh, earlier this summer or whatever it was. And it ends up being a clip that if it's released in 35 seconds has me saying, okay, the Canadians will trade Jordan Harris down the line. The point I was making when we talked about it going back a couple months is they are in a position of strength and he could get to a point where his value on the market becomes a lot stronger than it is to the team because of that strength that they have at his position. I'm not, I was never suggesting, oh, the Canadians should just trade Jordan Harris knowing he's going to be a good player. He is a good player already and he's going to get better and he's going to become an even better player. But this is exactly what you want if you're going to build a winning team you want an abundance of good players at specific positions that you know are of worth and potentially of greater worth on the market than they even are to your team because you have so much strength at that position that's how you win go look at the vegas golden knights it is their blueprint go look at the los angeles kings who are on the rocks yeah this is how you do it and you can't do it you know when i think when Mark Bergevin said over and over again, you have to do it through the draft, you have to do it through the draft. And unfortunately they were deficient in development in order to turn some of those draft picks into what they needed. He maybe would have served himself very well by explaining doing it through the draft leads to exactly what we're talking about, where you look at a guy like William Trudeau and say, man, if the hole doesn't open up for him here, he's already shown like he could be a player in this league and he may not get that opportunity in Montreal. 
But what he does do is give Montreal the opportunity to get better. And that's that's the asset collection through building through the draft process that leads you to become a sustainable winning hockey team. Two goals to assist, uh, four points in three games for Joshua Roy, who probably he was really see, good. Sees sees this propel him to the top of the Montreal Canadiens offensive prospects uh, in terms of non NHLers right now. Um, as much as he was really good, are you concerned that of all the non NHLers? He's the best prospect in the system offensively because you said he's really good, and we'll get to Sean Farrell in a second, but I don't think Sean Farrell was. Let's start with Joshua Roy. I spoke to, to Jocelyn Thibault, I can't remember at what point of last season, about what really sticks out about the player, and he could not, and Jocelyn Thibault was obviously the, he was the president of their, their team, and now he's hockey Quebec and all that, but yeah, and talking about in Sherbrooke, elite, elite level hockey sense. And there was a couple plays that I watched over the weekend where um, he had a shift today against Ottawa. It was a power play shift where four plays ran through him and he made the right play every single time. And it was not necessarily the predictable play. And I understand the question because you'd like to have an abundance of players with that type of talent and skill set um, so that he's maybe your second or third best offensive prospect. Um, I don't know if I'm willing to suggest that he's number one on the list necessarily, but he's up there. And I think this kid, if he continues to build on what he did last year, which was extremely impressive especially at the world junior where we talk about offensive ability he became their best penalty killer he became their clutch goal scorer he became the kind of swiss army knife type player that most people would not have thought he could be when he was drafted as a bit of an overweight dude who had an issue with a bit of a his work ethic i think he's going to be a really good player and uh if he ends up on the mantle of most talented forwards it's because he deserves to be there. Yeah, no, um, Roy is good. He's got talent. He's got vision. He's got hockey sense. He's elusive. He's hard to hit. And um, he tries. Farrell, I've seen players like Farrell before. If that compete... Is his best compete, and that's all he got. He's got. I don't know, man. I think both players have similar attributes in that their hockey sense is their greatest strength, and I think both players will show much better with better players around them. And I think it's really easy to judge Farrell based on a six-game sample when the Canadians were completely decimated by injury last year and he was coming in for the first time straight from college to the national hockey league and not necessarily prepared for it um and and uh you know the short sample at a development camp where structures not even a buzzword i mean there is no structure it's go out and play free and do do it show us what you can do um did he show the very best of what he's capable of no does he have 
a 200 game sample that we saw at other levels of hockey that would suggest he's much better than he showed yes and um we'll see we'll see i think he needs to get some real professional experience under his belt i think he needs to play with good players so that hockey sense really shines through i don't think it's a question of compete but i do understand that his play would leave people wanting more of it so let's see if he adapts again it comes back to the adaptation is he going to raise his level now that there's an opportunity to play with some better players and fight for a spot um because the door is open for him management would love to see him push somebody out but he's got to he's got to run through that door with a with a sledgehammer you know what i mean like, yeah you didn't do that you didn't do that this weekend and i think part of that has to do with the fact that it's it's not particularly structured hockey and you're playing with a bunch of people you've never played with before and everybody's out for their own so to speak uh, to show what they can do versus make everybody else around them better so it's his kind of mo as a player is with his hockey sense is to make other people around him better and it's a hard thing to do in the structure of a rookie tournament I'm probably going to end up regretting, uh, regret saying, how, how can I, how can I phrase this? So it doesn't come back to bite me. I might as well just say it, but, um, Corey Locke was a former Montreal Canadiens draft pick fourth round, 113th overall, Sean Farrell, fourth round, 124th overall, uh, Farrell five foot nine, Corey Locke five foot eight, uh, both, um, lefties, Mm-hmm. And Locke put up great numbers mm-hmm. throughout his junior career with the Ottawa 67s and then went on to have some great years in the American Hockey League, uh, three or four of which were with the Hamilton Bulldogs. And he just he didn't end up playing too many NHL games. Now, what am I telling you? Am I telling you that I think Sean Farrell's only going to play nine games in the National Hockey League? No, I'm not telling you that. Am I telling you that uh, I'm somewhat concerned that Sean Farrell's best hockey will be at a lower level than the National Hockey League or outside the National Hockey League? Yeah, I'm probably telling you that. Unless, of course, this guy wakes up, looks at himself in the mirror, and says, if I don't up my compete level by at least 50%, I'm going nowhere. If he has that conversation with himself... I can see something happening with him because the talent's there. But talent alone, when you don't have that, you're going nowhere. I'm not going to disagree with anything you just said. And it's a really interesting comparison I, with, you know, obviously one slight flaw in that Locke was playing or aiming to play in a different NHL than, than the one that currently exists, right? Good point. There is, there is space for players like Farrell at this level. There's not my space. God. There's a lot of good points coming out of this podcast. But there's not there's another no, level. But to your point, which is a good one, thank you. There's no space for any talented players in this league who do not compete above and beyond what they even expect of themselves, because the competition is too fierce. There's too many players out there that can take your job like a Michael Pizzetta, because his compete is so far through the roof that it supersedes whatever talent you might be able to display, um, you know, just playing at the end of your stick. I don't think Corey Locke, I don't, I don't want to revisit Corey Locke's work ethic because I don't know if it was ever a problem for him. 
it's hard for me to even remember. But absolutely an interesting comparison to kind of pull out of left field because you're right. He was a dominant player at pretty much every level and yet could never find his way to the NHL. And I have to imagine it wasn't the only difference that he was undersized. Uh, Johnny Junta making me laugh. Uh, Tony, what's your thoughts on a CJ being named after you? Tony Marineropolis College. That's not bad. Thank you very much. I like it. I like it. Um, you know who caught a lot of people's attention? Struble. Remember when they drafted him and you have that footage on Habs TV of Mark Bergevin and Trevor Timmons and they're at the, the table and and Bergevin says, this guy's a Greek god when they're talking about Struble. Like I saw um, highlights of Struble. At one point, there were five guys on the ice and, you know, a couple of fights broke out. And this guy grabbed like two people at the same time. And I don't know if it was fights or skirmishes, but this guy's got freakish strength and i think most people seem to think that if struble's gonna play on the canadians one day jack guy won't because you probably need one of those guys i'm not so sure i agree with that you can't have enough of those guys but go ahead (laughs) yeah i like i said i I, i'm not so sure i agree with that assessment no but some people think that but this guy this guy, this guy's an NHL defenseman in the making, Jaden Struble. For sure. I mean, the thing that I liked from him over the weekend, the two games that he played, is that he has the same the same knocks on Mayu are there for Struble, and he doesn't have as much offensive upside. Except he played the game. You know how Marty St. Louis always likes to say, play the game that's in front of you? Like yeah. play the, play. He played the game. Like he, he made very simple, smart decisions, kept it simple and easy for himself. And so his best self showed. And he looked very comfortable. He looked very comfortable at that level. Let's see how comfortable he looks as the level rises. Um, another player that there's absolutely no rush on. Another player who's being put in a very good development situation and recognized that. That's why he signed with Montreal. He could have. Yeah, decided not to. Yeah, especially given the logjam at his position, and um, there's reason to believe that he can become a player at this level, provided he can continue to keep things simple and play that kind of rugged style. Because there's always space for that. Anybody who would think for a second that you can have too much of that, um, go watch the teams that win the Stanley Cup. You need as much of it as you could possibly get. A hundred percent. All right. Okay. On that. By the way, can we just say because we were talking about the undersized guys? Yeah. And and your knock on Farrell is valid. Xavier Simono. Yep. Is an undersized guy. Is a later round pick. Is he third round or fourth round? Okay, I don't know. I'm not. I don't have it in front of me, and I'm not. You know. Not not a. I'm not sure, so I'll look it up. If, if research could get it to us. Whatever he is, he's not a first or second round pick. Sixth round. There you go. Sixth round pick. 191st overall, 2021 NHL draft. I don't know if this kid will ever play in the league, but I'm pretty sure, you know, he will, he will, he will not stop until he has that opportunity. 
I loved what I saw from him as a player. I, I we saw glimpses of it last year too in camp. And, and five he, years in the queue, by the way. Five years in the queue. Yeah, but this kid is not allergic to the middle of the ice. He actually goes looking for it, and he is pretty spatially aware and smart with the other four guys on the ice and the other five in the opposition. He plays the game hard, and he is fearless, and he is fast, and he has skill. And, you know, there's not necessarily so much room for more undersized players to make their way with the Canadians. They have enough. But I wouldn't bet against that kid at least getting some NHL games in over his career. I think oh, NHL games are one thing, but I mean, I think he's, this. I'm not saying he's going to become a great player or anything like that, but he stood out to me. He stood you know out. To he, me. he stood. Well, listen, when you're that small and you're, you're plugging away like that. And I think of Gallagher, right? But Gallagher obviously is even another level because Gallagher not only carved out, you know, a 10 plus year career in the national hockey league, he also carved out a couple of 30 goal seasons, right? So Gallagher is, is another level. But when you're that small, I mean, all those guys that were small and, and they had these NHL careers, they all have like character coming out of their ears. Marty St. Louis, Sacco Koivu, Thierry Fleury, you know, all these small guys, Brian Janta, so much, so much grit, will, determination, character. It's well, it's, you 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 pulled out Corey Locke and and Sean Farrell as a comparison, and I'm going to tell yeah. you, Xavier Simino, if he could tap into what Nathan Gerby did, yes, that guy was drafted in the fifth round. Yeah, guy was drafted in the sixth round. Yeah, he can be a player in this league. Not not tomorrow, not not today, but he's not that far off. And, 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 we'll, and, leave, and we'll leave and, it at that. <laughs> and, and, and Nathan Gerby and Nathan Gerby was, I think uh, I don't have the the stats in front of me, but I think he's the the smallest player in the history of the National Hockey League. Uh, Is he not? Have you ever seen a player smaller than Nathan he, Gerby? He was five four, one hundred seventy six pounds. Simon was a bit bigger than that. Simon was five seven. Yeah. Nathan Gerby, I think, was the smallest player in the history of the National Hockey. League. That's a good one, but the, you know the it, look. It would have to be somewhere else. And I, and look, we're not talking about, you know, Xavier Simino making this team right now. But, I mean. No, no, no. I'm just know, saying. It, it wouldn't. It, right now, you take player. a look at who they have. I mean, they're, they're, they got a lot of small guys, the Canadians. Anyways, we're done talking about Xavier Simino. Yeah, okay. So why don't we do this? Why don't we do this? I think, based on what I've been told by, uh, you know, the uh, our people over at Master Control, uh, the Cavalaros, Agnello, Sammy, and Juliana. It's a it's a family affair. God love them. Is that um, you uh, you prepared your lines for what is it uh, you prepared what you think will be uh, the roster for the Canadians this year? Well, yeah, let me let me put happen? the disclaimer out before it hits the screen. <clears throat> and you with the disclaimers tonight. I have I have a piece coming out with Sportsnet.ca tomorrow where it's a training camp preview, and at the end of that, they're asked for a projected lineup. So. Uh, we'll just- We'll give you a sneak peek at our projected lineup. But that projection is not based on any information I have. It's based on my opinion. It makes a few assumptions, which we'll go over as we go through the lineup. And it's kind of a mix between what I think we could see, but also what maybe I would do if I was the coach of the Canadians. So, and, and we'll get to it in a second, not before I give a shout-out, of course, 
to sportbuffshop.com. Shop all your sports licensed lifestyle apparel, including hoodies, caps, T-shirts of your favorite teams from all major leagues at sportbuffshop.com. Use code SICK10 for 10% off on all of their items. So what are we doing here? Are we starting with the forwards? Let's start with the forwards. What do you do got? Whatever, do it however you want. And before And before we get into it, the greatest assumption that this lineup makes is that everyone will be healthy three and a half weeks from now. Got it. So this is supposed to be the projected lineup for opening night. Because believe me, as this season goes along, you are going to see these lines change a ton, not just based on injury, but there's just a lot of versatility within the players that are here. Uh, Caulfield, Suzuki, Newhook. Why not put Newhook in the same exact situation you put Kirby Dock in last year? Give him a chance to succeed immediately he's got the skill set to complete these two players uh you'd like to see the competitiveness up a level so that he can fill in some of what they'll need from a puck retrieval standpoint but the main reason that i have him to with those two guys in addition to the fact that you'd like to give him as good of a chance at success out of the gate as possible is because you'd also like to see doc center the second line You'd like to maintain Kirby Doc in the middle, and you already know what you have with him, Suzuki, and Caulfield as a line if you need to use that as an option. Um, I, I see that first line as uh, that's why it's assembled the way it's assembled. Mm-hmm. Doc, Slavkowski, Anderson, Monahan, Gallagher, RHP, Evans, Pozzetta, Yelonen. Okay, so there's a there's a couple of players that are not here. One is Yol Armia. I think if Yol Armia doesn't show up to camp and really make a statement of some kind, he could easily find himself on waivers between now and the beginning of training camp. And I'm not saying that to be an alarmist or whatever it is. Yeah. And uh, of course, now I have to worry about that becoming an isolated clip. But I'm just saying, like, hey, stop worrying about that stuff. You but, but, you gotta, but you got to know, like, consider the way this has gone over yeah. the last couple of years. And uh, he better show something. He better show something that's different. It's, it's not enough to say, okay, he deserves the benefit of the doubt because he's been an NHLer for this long. If you're going to be authentic to the notion that you're making room for younger players if they deserve to be there, you can't have a player who has put in the type of performance that he has over the last couple of years not show you something different and maintain his spot. So uh, there's too many players that are pushing here, not included Owen Beck, Joshua Wah, uh, Leas Anderson, who came in, who had a monster year in the ahl regardless of what you think of him as an nhl prospect he's only 24 years old yeah there's competition here and uh he's in a he's in a competition to keep his job whereas some of the other players that are on this list are in competition to get higher up the lineup so it's it's very hard to disagree with the players you have in your starting 12 obviously there's there's some room for debate as for the lines. Sure. But for, you know, those who are looking at Armia and looking at Yelonen, Yelonen in six less games had two more points than Yol Armia. And I think Yelonen has a ceiling that he hasn't got to yet. But his contract once again is... And that's where the challenge will be compared to Armia for Yelonen. Of course. Let's look at that second line. Now, 
this assumes that Slavkovsky has a good enough camp to be where he's slotted. It also assumes that Sean Monaghan is probably better for the Canadians if he's playing in the middle of the ice. But that second line slot to the left of Doc and Anderson, assuming neither of those guys are playing on the first line, it is probably the spot that's most in flux in this entire lineup. I could see a really dynamite case made to put Harvey Pinard in that spot. Um, 14 goals in 34 games is a pretty strong one, and you know that was just the appetizer in terms of what that player is going to push for and how much he wants it. Um, There's a certain sector of the media that will have RHP on the first line, and I think that even though that sector of the media thinks that they're doing him a favor by pumping him up like that, I think they're doing him a huge disservice. <laughs> yeah, well, listen, it's all a question of what he, what he, he actually fits really well with Caulfield and Suzuki because he can do some of the things that you hope Newhook will show that he can do too, which is retrieve pucks and be a forechecker and be a guy who is tenacious on the puck. Somebody's got to do it. And Caulfield and Suzuki don't get enough credit for doing it themselves, but they still need some help in that department. And that's why RHP, in addition to proving that he can score goals – fits he also to me is a very logical guy to replace Slavkovsky on this line with Doc and Anderson because if you really want to have a balanced attack or at least a line that could supplement the offense that Suzuki Caulfield and Newark might not produce in a game in any given game he scores goals and like Doc needs a goal scorer next door and and Anderson has better better do it with more consistency than he has but if you want to strengthen that line, Harvey Pinard is an option you have to look at. Another option. Well, the, the reality for me yeah. at this stage of their respective careers is neither Slavkovsky or RHP are ready for full-time second-line duty. So they're going to rotate. Yeah. And there's another guy who could be in there. There's another two guys who could be in there, actually. And I, I see them as Monaghan. If you want to help Doc out a little bit with the center responsibilities like they did last year and they meshed yeah. well, you could see Monaghan there. I think the Canadians are stronger with those three guys centering their lines. Um, but I can see the argument and I could see I could see that happening. The other guy. I don't, pardon me. I don't know, but you just because you brought up Monaghan's name, I don't yeah. know what Marty St. Louis thinks, but I'd be willing to bet that Jeff Gordon and or Kent Hughes would love to see Monaghan in the top six because that's a player that they want to trade before the deadline. I think they'd love to see Monaghan be as effective as he was when he was healthy last year. 17 and points to 25 games. What, what, what Marty St. Louis is going to have to determine, uh, and maybe it'll change from out of the gate to two months into the season if he's still healthy, is how can he continue to be as effective as he was? At what minute level will that make sense for him? Because unfortunately for him, that was, a, that was a serious injury that and a surgery that he went through last year that he may still bring the same attributes as he did a year ago, but may not be able to do it for the amount of ice time that he was playing last year. So if you really want to protect the asset... What was the ice time? Do you, do you know off the top of your head what the ice time was last year? On average, I can't say off the top of my head, but I have to think it was over... I think it was over 14 minutes. Um, it's, but funny you also, say that. it's funny you say that because the second you just said what you said... Yeah. The number that came to my mind was 14 would make sense. Like, yeah. I don't know if more than that, I think I think you're stretching it. But it might have been because he played in all situations and he was kind of moved all around the lineup as a kind of a spark plug. So 
I wouldn't be surprised if it was closer to 16 minutes. I know that it was. No, no, I'm talking about 14 being this is the number that I'd like to see him at this year and not more. Yeah. Yeah. I think last year was probably closer to 16. And this year it could be, I think 14 makes a lot of sense. And when you talk about them really potentially wanting him to be in the top six so that his asset value increases and they could potentially trade him down the line, you also have have to protect his asset value by not burning him and turning him into a player that a either ends up injured again or becomes ineffective because he's playing more than he can actually handle based on the mileage uh, that he's already undergone. But the main reason I've got him where I've got him is I, I just, I like the idea of the Canadians rolling with Suzuki, Doc and Monaghan and putting Evans and Dvorak into a battle with each other. Right now, Dvorak's in parentheses there because we don't know, even though he's been skating with the main group of the guys who have come in before camp, if he's going to be healthy enough to start the season on time. Seventeen twenty-two is the number, by the way. Yeah, seventeen. That's a big number. Like I, I dropped three minutes. If we were making prop bets on what's going to happen this year, I would bet against. I would bet against him coming even within a minute of that this year. Um, but we'll see. From we'll seventeen twenty-two we'll to fifteen. You know, the other guy who could end up in Slavkovsky's spot, and I think there's a portion of the fan base that will laugh this idea off, which is probably part of the reason why I would would still maybe bet on it, is Gallagher. And I think a lot of people look at Gallagher and say, you know what, the best we could hope for with this guy is 20 goals. And they might be right. You know, I think there's more evidence looking over the last three years to support that point than there is in me potentially coming out here and saying, I think maybe he could get to 25 if he plays on that line. I just would never bet against Brandon Gallagher. That's just, I don't, I, it's, that's it's, just it's, how it's, I am. I it's think a, it's, 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 it's a nice thing. You know, Eric, it's a really nice thing to say, and he's proven so many people wrong over the course of his career. But at one point, and I, I you know, I, I, I just, I think we got to be realistic. Like, yeah, I, well, I, remember I, you, I remember you came That's where I slaughtered him. Yeah, I remember you came out with a piece last year. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think you had talked to, um, or I don't know if it was you had talked to him or you had talked to somebody that worked uh, in terms of his last year. Camp, I wrote, I wrote, I wrote an article about his offseason training. Yeah, his dad speaking with Milan Lucic, speaking with Gallagher himself. Yeah, and uh, and uh, it was great. It was it was great, but like a like a truck. You know, you know, Eric, I, I I got a couple of trucks at home. One's a 2012 and one's a 2023. You know, the 2023 never has a problem, but the 2012 seems to go into the garage every four months. Yeah. To the point where I told my wife, you know, one more time it's going in the garage and, you know, we're stuck with, you know, do you, do you keep it until it dies or do you end up getting rid of it at one point and get you're, something for you're it? You're making the easy and, argument and the more justifiable argument. And I'm I'm happy to admit that. Um, the th- part where I have an issue is like the ankle injuries that he suffered last year. Is that a function of the wear and tear on the body for the years leading up to that? Or... That's probably bad luck. Yeah. Yeah. So no, I hear you. Again, I put Gallagher on the third line of this team. I don't expect them to be in that second line uh, starting the season with Doc and Anderson. Would I bet against him working his way there? No, because Gallagher has that ability that if he's healthy, and I, I did see elements of his game 
when he was healthy, which unfortunately was not for a okay, very long time. Okay, now we got ourselves an interesting conversation here, and I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to tell you why, okay? Before I see Gallagher being on the second line at right wing, I see Slavkovsky being at right wing and an RHP moving up. I see a Monaghan being on the wing instead. And maybe there's another centerman coming in, like Elias Anderson on the fourth line. Like, I see so many different scenarios is what I'm getting at. That's fair. Before seeing Brendan Gallagher it's fair. in a top six slot. And, and I know so he I. wants it. And I so know he, wants he was the fourth name I mentioned as a potential guy for the second line. I talked yeah. about Slavkovsky. I talked about yeah. Yeah. I talked about Monad. And then I said, you may think this is crazy. I think eventually this picture is going to move quite a bit. There's just going to be a lot of moving parts. The idea that Slavkovsky will be there to start is, honestly, if you were a fan of the team, hopeful. You know, like... I like I like that he's dropped weight by it's, the way and I, and I insisted I insisted a year ago that he needed to drop weight. I know some people disagreed, but in Marty St. Louis team and in his systems and in his concepts, you got to skate, man. You got to be fast, you got to be explosive. And, and that's, Look, why, that's, pull, that's another it's another reason why I don't see Gallagher in the top 6 like fine, fine. Gallagher we, skating last year I found very laborious. So let's let's eliminate that, but if we were polling the entire fan base right yeah. in terms of purely based on what we saw last year, mm-hmm. who should be on the second line to start the season between Harvey Pinard and Slavkovsky, I think it would be 92% in favor of Harvey Pinard. The hopeful part of the fan base We'll mm-hmm. hope that Slavkovsky shows a lot more of the potential that had the Canadians draft him first overall, which, by the way, from my side of it, as a media member and just thinking rationally, yeah, this guy is a six foot four, two hundred and thirty pound beast who is going to take time to develop. Yes. Just the reality. Like this is how players like him come into the league and it takes them time. And like you can go to several other players across the league who have a similar profile, who were drafted very high, who are taking time. Uh, go to New York, go to Los Angeles. You know, I don't need to name the players for you to consider who I'm talking about. It takes yeah. time. A big part of me wouldn't mind seeing Slavkowski and RHP invert. And I'm going to tell you why. Because if Slavkowski plays on the second line, he's going to go up against top two defense pairings. He's going to go up against top two lines. And he can get burned. Now, getting burned. Uh, I'm not worried about them losing games. Not worried about that in that respect. I'm worried about maybe getting tagged, getting hit, which can also happen if you put him on the fourth line, by the way. But if you put him on the third line, I think he gets much more favorable matchups. And I think he's got a much higher ceiling, obviously, with all due respect to RHP. So it's a really good point. if If you're cutting a corner with RHP, it's not as bad as cutting a corner with Slavkovsky. It's it's a really good point, but also it's, it's my look, day. It's, it's my if, day today for making it's good your points. day today. It's your day, yeah. but I'm going to poke a hole in it because if you take a look at those two lines and the way they're composed, yeah, do you really see a dramatic difference in ice time and matchup 
for those two lines. Well, no, you don't see a dramatic difference, but I, I'll tell you where you do see a dramatic difference is a size on the wings. I mean, between uh, Rafa no, and just, No, no, I know, and, but I'm and, just saying. And, and Gallagher, are you, a, are you going know. to see them deployed? Are you going to see that second line deployed all that much more than that? No, 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 no. But it, but also in terms of matchups, I mean, Raphael, RV Pinard, and Gallagher can probably play on the same line if you're last line changer and you're playing in Montreal. But if they're going to play together on the road, like uh, Raphael, RV Pinard, and Gallagher on the same line, and the wings, I mean, I don't know, man. I Can I ask you a of, question? I know there's a lot of heart there, but... Since we've gone through these permutations... Yes. Meets to get permutations. Who's playing you in a game of Scrabble? I'd lose right away. You might. Um, no, I would. Not <laughs> I might. I would. <laughs> the Evans-Dvorak situation here. Yes. I think Jake Evans could probably be, be awarded the most underrated player on the Canadians label. Nobody That's seems. Fine. That's fine. No, but he's a nobody. Nobody. Yeah. Nobody seems to value how important he can potentially be to the team in terms of what he does and what his skill set is, because they don't see enough goals or assists or whatever it is. I, I thought that a couple of years ago when I Philip Deneau was on this team, I'm not so sure about that anymore, Eric. And well, by I, the I, way, I would love I to know. I would love to know, Tony. I would love to know if you matched up. Every game that Jake Evans played, and he had a one point, a twenty-game goal slump, I think something in the, in that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. You were to match up every game he played versus every game that Dvorak played. Which one of them made a bigger impact? Evans, but that's not saying much for me. For me, Dvorak. Dvorak is. Well, we're talking about the fourth line right now. Dvorak is bland. He's gluten-free. He has no taste whatsoever. None. He better be a lot more like the player that the Canadians traded for than the one yeah, he's been since he came to Montreal. Eric, at this point, honestly, he is who he is. We keep on waiting and waiting and yeah, waiting. And waiting. No, he no, is I don't who think he is. that's fair. Because who, who he was before he came here was, was a decent player. Gluten-free, yes, fair fair assessment because, honestly, yeah. he's not. He's never going to be accused of being the most exciting player in the league. But I think you went a little heavy on, on Jake Evans there because, for me, Jake Evans, within a couple of years, he's losing a spot to uh, maybe. Maybe, but that doesn't mean he can't be a valuable player to the Canadians yeah. this year in that role and potentially a more valuable one than Christian Dvorak. So let's see where that battle goes because I think it's one. You know, Marty St. Louis, when we were at the golf tournament, he talked about how it's less about who fits versus who fits where and that nobody should be comfortable in their seat because somebody else could steal their seat. And, you know, that's a battle that. I think is unheralded going into camp, but one that we should keep an eye on because yeah, but 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 Dvorak could very easily find himself being the third line centerman. Evans is the fourth line centerman, and Monahan ends up being a winger on the second line, and Slavkovsky plays on the third line, and RHP plays on the fourth line. That's I mean, fine. So That's fine. But if yeah. but if but if you do that, yeah, if you do that, and then we will see that at some point or another. Yeah, you're taking somebody out of this lineup who probably deserves to be in the lineup more. And that's that's going to be the challenge that Marty Stanley has this year. I think there's a guy who's got a chance to make this team that's not on this list. Let's hear and it. And when I say a guy that has a chance to make this team, I mean, at the end of the day, everyone who goes to camp has a chance to make this team. But I am particularly intrigued by one player in particular that I think could be the wild card of the camp. Are the initials OB? No, no, he's not Owen Beck. Owen okay. Beck, for me, uh, no. 
he's he just doesn't have enough offense. Well, we know you don't think Sean Farrell's making it. No, Sean Farrell's not making it. He'll they'll make it in Switzerland, but he's not making it here. Not right now. Okay. Emil Heineman. Call me yeah. crazy. I yeah. that's not crazy at all. Twenty one years old, turns twenty two on the sixteenth of November. Definitely he's in a the left handed shot. He can play left wing, he can play right wing. He's got an NHL shot. He's got an NHL release. He played eleven games with the Laval Rocket last year. He had seven goals in eleven games, seven goals, two assists, nine points. I think Heineman is a wild card. Big right. time for me. He's got a shot, man. Like a big, good shot. Big competition with Hilonen. Big competition with Slavkovsky. Big competition with Leas Anderson. Big yeah. competition with Pizzetta. You know, we less, mentioned, we mentioned less, all those names, and it brings us back to Yoel Armia. Eh? Like, less, less, with Leas Anderson. Anderson. Huh? less with Leas Anderson, because Anderson's a centerman. Well. Yeah, but okay. Uh, last no, Armia, last Armia, I checked, Leas Anderson had a better season in the HL last year than anybody we're talking about. Oh so. no, no, you're you're absolutely right. You're absolutely. And right. I agree uh, with you on Emil Heineman. Not and not only and it's funny because you know he owned more experience. It, there's an example as we come back to the Rhinebacker discussion. Went back to Sweden last year. Yeah. Where was he better? Where did he show better? Showed better on the North American rink. I mean, yes, he did. Yes, he did. And he didn't need to spend the entire year in Laval to do that. You know what? The reason why is because he doesn't just have a big body. He uses it well, and he's good in the corners, and he's good along the boards, which is a rare commodity for a player who's playing on the big ice surface. I, I, I have to I, do it that often. Yeah. I hate to question a player's heart, and I shouldn't be doing that, but because sometimes I'm just not a nice guy, I'll do it anyway. I'm not going to tell you that Armia doesn't have heart because obviously, you know, you don't get to the National Hockey League with just talent alone. But put it this way, I don't think he's got a lot of it. I, I find him to be an extremely frustrating player. And uh, and and I find that at the end of the year, he should take half his salary and he should give it to a charity. <laughs> I think he's Well, I disagree. I don't think it's a question of heart. I think it's a question of belief and self-belief. And If Joel Armia can tap into a level of self-belief that he hasn't been able to, he could be much more consistent in delivering the type of performance that you know he could offer because he, you know, you talked to all his teammates. He's his talent is through the roof. And he yeah, that, that that's fine. His talent is through the roof. I know. He, he, he we know who he is by now. Yeah, we yeah, he comes he to is. play when he's in the mood to play once in every eight games. I, I, don't, I don't have time for that. that stuff anymore. See, I don't think that's fair. I, I think, think I think once I turn fifty, I'm starting to lose patience. You understand? Fine, I, think I'm getting, fine. I think I'm getting fine. old. Is what's fine. happening? But I think you're wrong. Also, how the hell am I fifty years old? I don't think it's wrong. How how am I forty? I mean, I was in high school yesterday. Which one of us today, looks younger? Today um, I'm 50. You look a lot younger than Seriously, me. I don't think it's his heart. I don't think it's he plays when he wants to play. I think he has a hard time believing in himself, which is a shitty thing to say about a guy who was drafted in the first round and had so much potential and has shown at times he could be absolutely like the best player on the ice. And I, I hope he finds it somewhere. I hope he works with the people he needs to work with and can tap into being that player. But when we mention Pazetta and Anderson and Heineman and Yelonen and uh, Slavkovsky and Harvey Pinard, how are you slotting that guy based on what he's shown, Yolarnia, over any of them right now? Like it's it's almost impossible to do unless he comes to camp and looks like a guy who is finally confident enough to tap into what he has because if he can. Man, you could throw him all over this lineup and he can make a difference. But I just let's, don't see it. 
let's get to your defense. Yes, sir. It's 11.03 already? What in the world is going on? You've been away for three weeks, and I'm fresh. I started talking to you two minutes ago, and it's 11 o'clock. You still haven't gotten to Mike Babcock. Come on. No, no, we're we're, we're at a racetrack. Hold on a second here. Okay, very quickly. Matheson, Gooley, uh, Jackai, Savard, Harris, Kovacevic. All right. It's a lot easier, right? Weidman's a seven. That goes without saying. Maybe. Okay. Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe not. I don't think he might not be healthy to start the season. Why? Who would be a seven if he's not going to be? Probably Barron. Barron to Laval. Also, could also be Lindstrom. Ba- uh, Barron to Laval? <laughs> Barron, look, going through it line by line quickly, Mathis and Gooley, if they end up together, is kind of a no-brainer. You know, I, I, I put them together because Gooley has shown his ability to play the right side. I think he's better on the left side. And I, and I also know what you're doing. You're trying to match some experience with less of it. Maybe, but also looking... if you put Matheson and Savard together, you got your two NHL vets, and then all of a sudden you have two second year players in Gooley and Jack together. It yeah. probably wouldn't make sense either. Yeah, but I also, you know, like the I, I think the main reason I have these two guys together is because of the minutes. You know, I, I just see two guys that can eat more minutes than anybody else. Um, Jack I Savard is a tough pairing. Uh, but it also liberates Jack I to do some of the things he's not known as well as he should be for. He's an, he's a very good skater. He's a good puck mover. He's offensively much better than anybody thought he was. And it doesn't get talked about enough because of the other elements that he brings. And to me, if you look at all the guys that are in their system, he's, he's a top four defense. He's going to be the guy that a lot of teams, if, if it wasn't with Montreal would look at him and say, I'd love to have that guy in my top four. And I think that's where he belongs to start the season. But I think you could see the minutes spread quite evenly between Jack I and Savard and Harrison Kovacevic, who made Mind a pretty you, good pairing. You, you talked about uh, Barron and Lindstrom. They could easily carry two goalies, 8D, and, uh, and 13 forwards. They could. They could also carry three goalies, which I think is a very strong possibility starting the season with only two out of eight games in October – before they get to the thirtieth and shove off to Vegas, so you see the them. You see them carrying three. Well, I think clearing up. 13. I think clearing up their goaltending situation is going to be difficult, and so carrying six defensemen to start the year is not the end of the world for them. Uh, they they have a one off in Toronto to start the season, and they have a one off in Buffalo, I believe it is, before they eventually take a, a longer road trip at the end of the month mm-hmm. on the thirtieth, and and go off in the beginning of November on the road, at which point they'll have to make some sort of changes and bring more defensemen with them. But I see it as six defensemen, and uh, that's going to be tough because there's a lot of defensemen trying to make this team. But I think Jack, Jack I and Harris will be interchangeable at times. Kovic, Savage, and Savard will be interchangeable at times. Um, I think this is a balanced defense, the way it's structured. That's why I put it that way. Uh, we're going to talk about Mike Babcock in a couple of minutes, even though we have gone already overtime and we're at 11.07 p.m. For about 45 minutes, but we're going to talk about Mike Babcock because he really blew it big time. So we have to talk about him. Not before we talk about the, the goalies, the goalies you have. Yeah, easy. Montambo, Jake Allen, Caden Primo with the proviso that you're probably going to see Casey DeSmith change teams between now and the beginning of the season. Yes, he will. I think uh, he was made I, it pretty clear. On a personal note, we don't cheer for teams, but we do cheer for players. 
I'm cheering for Caden Primo to have a strong camp because I do believe that he can still be a good goalie. And I think it's kind of sad that so many people in the fan base have given up on him based on the sample size when he was thrust into a position that he had no chance of succeeding in. You would be a great agent, you know that? You believe in everyone and you cheer for everyone. I don't believe in everybody. But I, I'm, I, I try to see. Well, I believe in you, Eric Engels. I try to see things objectively, Tony. I try to, and usually when I hear this player's this and this player's that, I try to get to the bottom of what they actually are, and I try to try to as much as I can tell their truth. Um, you know, when you talk about Joel Armia and Hart, I take exception to that because I don't think it's a question of that. I do think it's a question of confidence. When you talk yeah. about Caden Primo and ability, yeah, don't worry about it. I get carried away. Okay, Caden Primo. Yeah is not a bust. Like I, I don't, I'm not ready to say that about him when I saw Samuel Montabo do what he did at 26 years old. So everybody. Uh, That's a good point because when I saw Montabo play the first couple of games in the national with the Canadians, I said, there's no way this guy's an NHL. Primo's got to have the best camp of his life right now. He's got to come out and make a statement, not only that he can play in this league, but that he could be a better option than Jake Allen and that he could even push Samuel Montambo a year from now or whatever it is. If he can do that, then that'll be great for him, regardless of where he ends up in the packing order. So uh, he's got to have a huge camp. And I, like I said, I don't cheer for teams, but I, I'd love to see him do that to shut up some of the people that think he's a bust and he'll never be good. I used to think that Caden Primo used to have a very high ceiling. Uh, I'm not going to say I don't think that anymore. I'll tell you this. I think I'm in the minority. Uh, his ceiling is not as high as I envisioned it to be at one point. But I still think that he has an interesting ceiling. Um, I think you can make the case that he probably has the highest ceiling of the three goalies that they have or the four goalies that they have. I think you can make that argument based on a little, bit of his, a little bit of his pedigree. But Samuel Montembeau really changed things up last year because Montembeau, yeah. was, he was really good, Montembeau. Like, he took his game to a level that I didn't think he could take it to. Now, now it's his, his job to lose now. Uh, Mike Babcock. Uh, uh, he didn't take his game to a very, very high level because where he decided to take his game uh, basically got him fired, even though he said that he was resigning today. Um, whatever. He didn't resign. He was fired. He should have uh, been. Yeah. He, shouldn't have, he shouldn't have been given the opportunity to resign and save face. He should have been fired. Yeah, that was a whole... Um, you know the way that works, right? They... Uh, they uh, they agreed that they would make him they make him say out of respect for him that he was resigning, uh, and so they probably had to pay him less. Um, well, I don't think he deserves that respect, but we'll get to that. Okay, so let's get to it. Uh, you heard uh, Paul Bissonnette, the spinning chicklet, say what he had to say last week that he got a text that Babcock was up to his old tricks and up to his old antics, and asked Boone Jenner for his phone and went through his phone. And then a lot of people were talking about it, and some people were saying, hold on a second, do you actually think he took the phone out of his hands and just, and that probably wasn't his approach, but after investigation by Marty Walsh and Ron Hainsey, the NHL Players Association, uh, some Columbus Blue Jackets players came forward off the record, whispered in a couple of years, people's ears, and it got back to Marty Walsh, and it got to Ron Hainsey saying, hey, you know what, we need to investigate because there's there's some traction here. And um, Mike Babcock done in, in, in um, by the way, shout out to Shane Gaumont, who works master control every now and then. We had a segment about a month ago 
first coach in the National Hockey League to get fired. He said, Mike Babcock. I looked at him and I said, you're crazy. There's no chance. They just hired him, right? How could you be the first coach to get fired when you just got hired and you haven't even coached a game yet? You would think that when you get hired, you're going to get at least a couple of years of leeway. You're going to get a pass for a couple of years. But you know what? Uh, Shane said, no, no, it's not a right fit for that team. That team is young and he's whatever, not a fit. And, uh, hey, good for you, Shane Gomo. Leopard doesn't change his spot. This guy has religiously abused his power from that position. and So many coaches in sport, amateur and professional, have done that, by the way. Yeah. And, and they make me sick. But the thing with him is that he did not have the leeway to make a slip like this. And it's stupid. It's really stupid. You want to get to know your players better, have a conversation with them like a normal person. You want to pry into their lives and their personal lives and find out about their families. You don't have to grab their phone or ask them for it. You can go on Instagram or Twitter or wherever else they're on social media because they are on social media and displaying so much more of their lives than anybody ever asked them for. So completely idiotic to start with. But also take it out of the context of hockey. You're working for a Fortune 500 company or a small mom and pop shop, and your boss calls you into your office, his office or her office, and asks you, "Hey, I'd like to get to know you better. You mind if I flip through your phone?" You'd think that's fucking weird, like, and it is really fucking weird. And it doesn't matter if 21 of 23 players thought it was completely normal and a wonderful way to get to know each other. Because if two of them were made extremely uncomfortable by it, which I suspect it was probably more than I'm uncomfortable just thinking about it. Yeah, it's that's all that matters. And it would be one thing if we were talking about John Cooper, who has a reputation that is pristine in this game and deservedly so. And I hope that doesn't come back to bite me and we find out John Cooper is some sort of monster because I'm pretty sure he's not. He's a great guy. But Mike Babcock doesn't deserve the benefit of the doubt in this situation because he has a reputation of doing this. This is what he is. Babcock is weird. He is a weird guy. He talks weird. His his, his, His analogies are weird. And this whole going through your phone is not an exercise, like you said, to get to know someone better because you can find about about their friends and family on Instagram or Facebook if you wanted to. It's so you can end up playing a psychological game with them at one point and you end up seeing a picture and you start with all these mind games. It's bullshit, man. It's bullshit. And people like that, you know, and you know what? Kekalainen should be fired. He should be fired, man. I don't think you're the only one who's saying that. And ultimately, for him to come up with this decision when there are so many good candidates, including the person who's replacing Babcock, who has been deserving of an NHL job for a very long time at Pascal Besson, there isn't much of an excuse for it. And you, then you put that together with Kekalainen's track record in terms of what he's been able to accomplish and not accomplish in Columbus. I think there's a lot of people on your side of that. I won't necessarily say whether or not I am. I don't have a strong opinion on it one way or another. But I know one thing's for sure. Babcock deserves – he didn't deserve to be able to save face and resign. He should have been fired. And he should not be hired again. And there are certain people that have these patterns within their history or certain people that have 
grossly offended in such a way that they're irredeemable, that don't deserve to be in charge of young men and women in the world, in the hockey world, in any world. They don't deserve to have that type of authority because they've proven that they abuse it or they don't treat it with the level of respect that it needs to be treated. Here's a, here's a guy who was able to win a Stanley Cup, and here's a guy who was able to win gold with Canada. Talk about a way of ruining a legacy, man. Dumb. Just yeah. dumb. Just yeah, well, dumb. In, a lot of the ways, in a lot of ways, I lament the world we live in where we find out too many things about people that you'd never want to know. In another, thank God that the social conscious has grown a little bit to get rid of people like this. He shouldn't have been recycled through the NHL and he won't be again based on what happened because it's he's, over, man. He's a, ticking, over. he's a ticking time bomb. Credit to Paul Bissonnette. He was given a piece of information. He went with it and went with Big it time in, credit. In, in a very, you know, in his own way. The one thing that I love about biz and we got to know each other a little bit. He's very true to himself. He is who he is unapologetically. So, and he's a good guy and you know whether or not you like the way he delivers his message and some of the things he says and the people he works for this or that you know he is a former player who has a connection to several of the current players who trust him enough and i, I wonder if a lot of other players now will use him considering the amplification that he gave and i think our buddy luke fox at sportsnet wrote a great column even suggesting this himself and i'm echoing those those sentiments because luke i think was bang on wonder how many more players will look at the amplification spitting chicklets gave Big time. Big that time. story and say you know what they could be agents of change and if they end up being so great um but good on biz not only, not only putting it out there but standing by it in the face of those statements that came out from babcock and jenner and goodrow who I, I agree with Goudreau and Jenner, obviously they didn't have a problem with it, but somebody did in that locker room. Or they didn't have the courage, or they didn't have the courage to go on the record and say they had a problem tough with position, it. Tough position to be in if yes. you're, you're going to be a key player for a team that expects that, that coach will be in position. Um, you know, it, it, There's yeah. a tough line to straddle there, so I don't, I don't blame anybody in that situation. Yeah, no, and uh, you know what? Uh, I don't know where Paul Bissonnette was in terms of the most powerful men in hockey list because there's a top 100 list that I think comes up pretty much every year. But I'd, I'd be willing to bet that the next time that list comes up, yeah, he'll have jumped several mm -hmm. ranks for sure. It's the hockey news that does it. I think he's been on Yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, it's the hockey news. I haven't been on it yet. Maybe one day, maybe. I'm 50. I'm not getting younger, but I, um, I haven't given up yet. You're the most powerful uh, man in LaSalle. He might as well be the mayor there. Really, eh? You yeah. know what? I I'd put I you would, at number one on the list. If I would run in LaSalle, I'd bet you I'd lose. You think so? Uh, I'd know so. Yeah. Right. If there's only one way to find out. If I would run in St. Leonard, <laughs> in RDP, in yeah. Montreal North, and in Laval, I'd have a much better chance than I would in LaSalle. And yellow, Sammy, start the campaign. Let's go. Even, even though I love LaSalle, it's a very, very particular community. I'll talk to you about it one day. In the meantime, I'm happy to live here, though. I just don't think I would win. Uh, in the meantime, he's Eric Engels of Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca. We went overtime, big time. You have no idea how much I appreciate it. Uh, you can tell I was away because uh, an hour and 19 minutes, it just it felt like... Uh, it felt like 25 minutes, to tell you the truth. All right, man. This was fun. Let's do it again sometime, okay? I'll keep great. you for less than an hour 19 next time around. All right. Okay. There you have it. He's Eric Engels. If you like the podcast tonight, comment sick, S-I-C-K, S-I-C-K. Like it, share it with your friends. And um, 
on Apple, leave us a five-star review if you can. You know that yet yeah, somebody said to me, uh, so I, I, I get the reviews, eh? And I read them, and it drives me crazy, right? Somebody said, um, well, it everyone's entitled to their opinion. Tony was better on the radio. Just you have to stop comparing the radio to podcasting. They're two different mediums. The radio was the radio. Podcasting is podcasting. The radio, you have the ability to use music. You have the ability um, to, to talk about different sports. You have the ability to go in a bunch of different angles. You have the ability to accept more calls at the same time and open up the lines a little bit more differently. And so the podcasting is different. You're not going to be talking about a bunch of different sports because it's one thing to host a radio show. And it's another thing when you're doing podcasting, which is the streaming world, which is a specific show. Unless you're doing a podcast, which is a sports show, that's okay. Then you're comparing apples with apples. But when you're doing a podcast, which is a hab specific show, it's hard to compare it to a radio show where you're talking about all topics and you have more possibilities because of those all topics. It branches out to a lot more different segments and different things. Having said that, I thank you all for watching. You are my sick army. You are my sick community. You're the reason why I do this. This and because I make a lot of money for only a one-hour podcast. More than I did in three hours of radio. Uh, love you all. Never mind money. Health is everything. If you don't have your health, you don't have much. Wishing you all the best of health. Talk to you again tomorrow. Same time, same place. For Agnello, Sammy, and Juliana, and Master Control, their Cavallaro, I'm Marinaro. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the Sick Podcast with Tony Marinaro on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La Vida TV. Embrace your true nature. And Playground, your premier gaming destination.